Hello, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast in 2021. Uh, it is a brand new year and while things remain much the same for lots of us, football remains one of the constants. Um, it's here to stay and as with every year, there are storylines and tales to be told all across Europe and the rest of the world. Um, 2021 is a big year for us at Scouted as we release our 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th print handbooks. Uh, we finalised the list for number nine and I think I speak for all of us when I say it is looking pretty diverse and very healthy. Uh, we'll have new layouts, new illustrations and new writers this time around so plenty to look forward to and as usual plenty to tuck into. Uh, but back on the podcast front, uh, and there's no let up in stories to tell, uh, we were delighted with the response to our most recent episode, uh, the title winning tale of FK Boda Glimt in Norway with Ben Wells. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll see Lee Scott return to the pod for yet another scouting mission, as well as an Italian special to celebrate our 50th episode, um, keeping that one a secret for the time being. Today, though, we are also in Italy, and I'm with the man himself, Stephen Ganavis, scouted chief, the one who cracks the whip. Um, I'd usually start by asking you how things are going, Steve, but instead I'd just like to know what your take is on the scenes that unfolded in the, the US capital last night. Uh, I would like to say I'm shocked, but that's uh, standard for the course at the moment with the with the way the world's headed. Um you, you stoke the you stoke the fire and uh, and and then I don't know if, if anyone should be surprised at the at the at the results. So yeah, certain sectors uh, definitely having felt emboldened, and this is obviously um, coming to a head. But anyway, back to the football, and the reason we've got Steve back on is because whenever Juve earn an important win, it is best just to allow him to let off some steam over the airwaves, or else he'll be in the group chat incessantly sharing pro Juve propaganda. And you won't agree with me, Steve, but nobody wants to see that. Uh, but in all seriousness, though, there is a title race in Serie A this season. Uh, and, and while it was a bad night for democracy in the States, uh, and it was a bad night as well for, for Milan, a COVID and injury-stricken Milan side who went down 3-1 to Juve, uh, their first defeat of the season, uh, which ended a 27-game unbeaten run stretching back to March last year. Uh, and and I'm sure it'll pain you to say it, but the, the Milan clubs have, have somewhat reclaimed the mantle after 10 long years of Juve dominance, albeit we're only halfway there. Um, and, and maybe I'm just being a bit of a tease, taunting the more provocative football and opinions out of Steve for later in the pod. But what's your what's your general take being on, on the first, I don't know, 16 games of, of this Serie A season? Well, firstly, you didn't have to ask me how I'm going because you absolutely know exactly how I'm going. A beautiful game tonight. Great advertisement for the league, and it's been a fantastic start to the season. I'd prefer if uh, Juventus are a little bit higher at the table, but uh, yeah, the title race is on. Um, there are probably, I would say, Napoli, uh, Inter, Milan, and Juventus that are probably vying for it, although Roma fans probably won't like me saying that. Um, and yeah, the quality this season has been just off the charts um and you think about the impact of the of the pandemic um but yeah it's just it's just the heavyweights slugging it out um inter with uh lukaku and martinez up front uh conte kind of settling on a side that he that he likes um and and looking more consistent although that mask uh somewhat slipped this morning or tonight, UK time, um, with their loss to Sampdoria. Um, then Stefano Pioli has Milan playing 
some exceptional uh, high-intensity pressing football uh, with some young players, and it just has worked perfectly. Um, yeah, they 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 even look they looked really good tonight. I thought um, with some with some players down with Benasser out with Ibra out, um, but they really took it to Juventus in in this game this morning. Um, and yeah, for, for periods of it, like re- really in control. Um, but with that high intensity pressure and a, a young team, the, the, the press started to lose its intensity probably towards the last half hour. And, um, Juventus took advantage, isolating, uh, defenders out on the right with first Chiesa and then Kulusevski. Um, and that, and that was the difference, but, uh, yeah, at the moment it's hard to, hard to pick a winner. Um, with 22 games or whatever it is left to go. Um, obviously, Juventus have the, the pedigree, but uh, Inter and uh, Milan look um, maybe a little bit fresher in a way. I guess nine years of um, you know playing at this level for Juventus takes its toll and you've got the change of manager. Um an aging squad in in some areas and a really young squad in others, um, where and Inter probably have the most most balanced team. But yeah, there's still everything to play for. Um, it makes perfect sense, I suppose, to to begin with uh, with Milan in the fallout of that that win for Juve tonight um, at San Siro. Um, you know, you're right in saying that they've been they've been fun this season. You know, they were they were quite good despite missing some key men. Um, and you know it's good to see sort of them being title challengers once more. I just want to draw a particular focus to uh, a, a tweet you put out very recently, um, which was um, it's it, it pretty much summed up this, the state of Italian football at the moment. Which was word for word, how good is it to see a big, meaningful match between Juve and Milan? Though just slugging it out, what a brilliant match this has been. Syria, best league in the world, once again confirmed. I mean, I'm loving that there's no bias there, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it is it is difficult to say that you know Milan haven't been one of the more fun teams to to, to witness in in Europe this season. You know, where's it gone right for them? Well, I think very surprisingly, firstly, it starts with Stefano Pioli just. Um, finding a system that really just works for a young team, uh, and then having having a group of players really buy into it. Um, obviously, Zlatan's come in and, and provided the the goals and the focal point. Um, but then you've got players like Rafael Leao really taking a step up. Um, Te Hernandez taking further strides forward this season. Um, Hauger coming in and, and slotting in really well. Uh, Davide Calabria taking steps forward. It's just, yeah, a, a, a lot of, um, and this is part of Pioli that he's improved these players because he has introduced them into this um, pressing and um, high intensity uh, philosophy that's, you know, suits a young team with a lot of energy. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that's probably the most pivotal point. Um, but then, yeah, these players individually taking steps forward. Liao is looking, um, like he's just ready to just explode and break out at any moment. I think in the the first half of the game today, he had uh, Bonucci backpedaling and Delic backpedaling a fair bit, and and could have scored. Um, and 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 when, you know when you're learning your craft from from Ibrahimovic, you're going to learn uh, one or two one or two things. And I think his games become more more well rounded. Te Hernandez is probably the the number one big improver. Um, although he 
got got absolutely uh, bodied by Federico Chiesa this morning, but going forward, he's been spectacular and you know still maturing as a defensive player. But yeah, all around the field, I think the only the only person that's really not been as impressive as uh, we thought they might have been is Sandro Tonali, um, who I actually. And I'll pat myself on the back. I thought that at 35 million, it wasn't a, a bargain to, to bring him in. And I think he's kind of just struggled to be as much of a, a difference maker as he was at Brescia. Um, and maybe this the kind of high octane style doesn't suit him as much playing at the, the base of midfield as someone like Ben Asser. So um, all around though, this, you know, compared to, you know, some of the, the times that we think that Remel, uh, Milan have been reborn over the last decade, I think now is the actual time where uh, they've taken a step forward and are ready to to compete again. Yeah, now definitely feels like a, a different dawning um, because there, uh, you know, there have been a few false dawns over the past decade, as you've said. Uh, you know, now it looks as though they've got a squad which they can build from, rather than sort of just tr- trying to get the maximum from a, a certain set of players in in a single season. You know, the, the likes of Rafael Leao, the likes of Teo Hernandez, you know, even Tonali, who hasn't hit the ground running. You know, these players can can build on the starts that they've made um, at, at this club. And, you know, just going back to Leao, you know, obviously he came in from Sporting, uh, he came on from Lille after being at Sporting, um, has got four goals and three assists in, in less than 850 minutes, I think it is, this season, which is, is a very good return. I know he's playing for one of the better sides and obviously the, the team who's, who's at the top of the table, but you have to appreciate that, you know, a lot of those goals are going to be taken by by a certain 39-year-old Zlatan. Um and and for me, my favourite performance of Leao's this season was uh, against Roma, uh, where he he got a great double assist. You know, the first was a little scoop dink through uh, into into the box and, and really astutely finished. And then the second was was a real you know showcase of what he can do out wide in those tighter spaces, kind of coming in off the left, making inroads towards the box, and then and then cutting it across. You know, it's those sort of more honed, refined showings that I think are emblematic of a. Play Player who's maturing, and yeah, he, he he never really played out wide before he he got to Milan as well. So that's you know, a, a part of playing out wide is I think he's developed that creative aspects of his game. And again, it comes back to Pioli. It's putting him in those positions to improve as a player. Um, and 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 kind of Ibro started his career kind of you know moving out wide and and developing he, he himself as a more rounded forward in those ways as well. So. Um, yeah, Liao's super exciting. His ceiling is monstrous. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really, really intrigued to see what he can do going forward from here. Teo Hernandez uh, as well. He's got quite a decent return in, in the goals and assists tallies this season. And I know it's sort of reductive to, to reduce players to, to those the, to those metrics. But, um, you know, he's it's not exactly bad for a left back, is it? You know, getting uh, a handful of goals and a handful of assists as well already at the halfway stage. Um, I think my favourite thing about Teo Hernandez is that uh, I, I was watching a video recently uh, where he scored at a, at, a, at a full San Siro. And it was kind of one of those videos where you just think, God, I wish we could sort of wish we could get that back. You know, we'd be so so grateful to have that. But it was the the stadium announcer, you know, bellowing from the bottom of his lungs. You know, Teo, <laughs> Teo, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, 
Um, yeah, on, on Teo, you know, you said that this evening um, he had uh, a bit of a torrid time against uh, Federico Chiesa and, and Dejan Kulusevski. Of course, I'm a big fan of Kulusevski. What was your what was your sort of your your tactical insight on that on that side of the pitch on, in this game in particular? Well, I think he kind of found himself, well, firstly, a little bit isolated whenever uh, Juve were able to break. Um, and I think when he does find himself, when he did find himself isolated, he, well, especially for the second goal, he uh, just left way too much space for Chiesa to swing onto his left and and, and take a shot. So he, he, he just wasn't as, as active as he needed to be on the ball. And then the first goal, he just didn't track back quickly enough. So I think it, it's always been the key issue with him as a left back is you know, he probably just lacks that little bit of um, discipline um, and a little bit of maturity in his style. But it's kind of the the um, the price you pay for someone that can be then such a game breaker going forward that has pace to burn and 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 stretches the game and and yeah hits the penalty box and and has such an impact. So. If he can continue to refine that that aspect, and I think it has come quite a long way, um, but it's still still got some some way to go. Uh, but but he'll get there across the city, of course. Well, not even across the city. Staying at San Siro, um, we've got Inter, who are also again this season, you know, leveling some sort of title tilt. Of course, lost to Sampdoria last time out um, with uh, Antonio Candreva kind of breaking into hearts there. Uh, just ever so slightly, uh, and at the start of the season, you described uh, Inter as as Ashraf Hakimi cutbacks FC. Um, but it's not just cutbacks that he's doing this year, is it? No, well, he's got more goals and assists, which is uh, perhaps not surprising, but impressive. Um, it's not surprising given the positions he takes up in 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 uh, the final third. You know, he was doing it for Dortmund. You know, he was fantastic in in. Yeah, you know, he was almost as if he was doubling as an auxiliary ring- winger at times. Well, yeah, it's not surprising because he's done it before. And I, I, I was worried that it was going to drop off coming over from Dortmund and, and moving into to Conte's system. But, but Conte really relies on his wingbacks to um, provide a threat. And he normally kind of picks one side that's got a bit more of an attacker and the other side that kind of drops back a little bit more generally. Um, but yeah, Hakimi is just absolutely dominated going forward at least. Um, and you got to think that you know, Conte at Juve during his uh, three-peat had Stefan Licksteiner just um, wreaking havoc down the right-hand side. So you can imagine what uh, what he can do with Hakimi, who is you know in another planet going forward compared to, to Licksteiner. We 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 we've all seen him, um, but yeah, it's yeah Hakimi when he when he gets forward just looks like creating a an opportunity. Whether it's him shooting or you know, as a cutting back to Lukaku, it's just the from pretty much the first game, it looked like a natural kind of connection they had between each other. So yeah, that and that's why it's scary. Is Inter straight away have just as soon as he's come in, just look like a juggernaut that just scores so many goals. Um, they put six past the Crotone uh, the other day, and yeah, they're looking looking scary, but you know have a tendency to to slip up, which. There, it's, it's almost a bit spursy into the, the last 10 years. So, yeah. That game, um, 
the six-two against Crotone was was Lautaro Martinez, uh, the game in which he scored a hat trick. And 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 just on the point of you know describing Hakimi, Lukaku, Lautaro, you know that that as a as a trio, you know I, I don't think it gets much better really, does it? In terms of having players who are so suited to to that system that Antonio Conte plays, because you know you know you're constantly going to get service. And a player like Lukaku, who's confident that he can roll anybody, a player like Lataro, who is who's who's a who's a battler, he's a fighter, he's going to fight for scraps, um, and 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 also has in his own right quite a lot of individual quality um, and, and and technicality. You know, I feel like it's a, it's a perfect mix. But as you say, they do have that. I don't want to say self destruct button because it's not as sort of it's not as plain as as being self-destructive, but they they do have that 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 mistake in them, that that dodgy game. Which, if you know, you're trying to topple nine years of Juve dominance and uh, and and trying to to go toe to toe with your your direct rivals Milan, then you know you can't really afford those those slip ups. Well, yeah, it's it's the it's the rock meets the hard place because you've got the Antonio Conte who is almost irrepressible in 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 league football coming up against Inter in the last decade or so where they just always managed to, to you know, slip up and, and start, I wouldn't say bottling it, but just start dropping points in, in games they shouldn't, you know, around this time of the season. I think January is a, they're, they're notorious. Um, but yeah, and but with those three, it's it's almost is a front three of uh, Martinez, Lukaku and, and Hakimi. You do have the firepower to potentially bail yourself out of, you know, a lot of situations where you might find yourself one or two down and, and needing to chase a game. They almost did it uh, this morning in the game against uh, Sampdoria that they eventually lost 2-1. But up until the 95th minute, they looked like they could score just about any time they went forward. So, yeah, it's a, as I said, it's a battle between the rock and the hard place. And and I think I think Conte feels more confident than ever that he can uh, take Inter back to the top. It's it's a good problem to have, though, isn't it? You know, always looking like you're going to score and maybe not scoring. You know, there's, there's I think there's a lot of teams in, across Europe who would probably like to to appear as though they're going to score even when they don't. Um, but I, I think it's important to stress that in this Conte system, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on wing backs. You know, we've seen that um, over the past few years with him at Inter. Um, but uh, I'd just like to shine a light on on Nicolo Barella uh, in the middle because he's just such an effective two way presence. You know, I've always liked him. You know, he seems he's really tenacious, but he creates well. You know, he can he's as good at tracking back and pressuring opponents as he is at sort of bending across into the box. You know, he's I, I don't know it. I want to say that he's sort of a rarity in football these days, but you know, I'm sure I'd be bombarded with with examples of players who are similar. But to me, I just think that he's 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 a novelty. Yeah, he pretty much made Christian Eriksen redundant on on arrival. Pretty much just as Eriksen arrived, Barella started to really break out and and uh, assert his control over the midfield because you know he doesn't really give you much less of a creative threat than Ericsson, I would say, because Ericsson himself in the, his last season in in England started to kind of tail off in terms of output in attack. Um, but then he offers so much more energy uh, all around the ground as a, as a defensive, as an active defensive player. So, um, yeah, he has taken enormous strides. He was already, you know, fantastically talented, but in the last 12 months he has really... Um, yeah, probably asserted asserted himself as the the probably the first on the on the team sheet for Italy's midfield for the Euros. I would say 
so yeah, it's been it's been meteoric, but uh, yeah, and probably the best midfielder in Serie A this season. High praise indeed. Um, well, that just about covers the top two uh, in the second part of this Serie A sessions podcast. We will discuss Roma and Juve in third and fourth. So on to Roma and they, they've been you know prolific in terms of chance creation this season. They've been big scorers, um, but they've also succumbed to, to quite a few avoidable defeats. Um, they lost heavily to, to Napoli and Atalanta. And you've got to think, you know, if, you, if you've got tight, anything about your title credentials to be to be somewhat convincing, then you need to be winning those games or at least not losing, uh, especially not in the manner that, that they did, which was, I think, by three and four goals. In the summer, they, they added uh, Marash Kumbula from Hellas Verona. Uh, and I was just sort of wondering, you know, he it doesn't appear that as though he's played an awful lot. You know, he's, he's got around 500 minutes. But what's that, that the adaptation sort of been? Yeah, well, there's a lot of just solid competition for the for a place in the in the three back. So they got Smalling, who was so good last year that he um, and Gianluca Mancini pretty much have strolled in. And then the the last competition for I suppose with uh, Ibanez that's come over. Um, but then also, I th- I'm pretty sure that Kumbula uh, got COVID, so that probably hasn't helped him. But I think, yeah, it's just general. I don't think he's been, you know, poor at all. I think it's just general competition for, for, for places, which is healthy for a club like like Roma. I suppose the the question that that I'm really asking here is that you know Roma have started well. They're they're third in the, in the league, you know, behind AC Milan and, and Inter. You know, they're only four points off the top. They've won ten of their sixteen. You know, usually you'd say that that is a team who are who are going to be pushing for for a title, but at the same time. You know, the, what you said at the beginning of the podcast was that, you know, they're perhaps not the most convincing. Um, so w- what is it that gives you that impression that they probably won't keep pace with the with the eventual winner? Uh, not necessarily that they're not prepared, but I think, well, obviously you can, you've got to compare their squad with the those they're competing against and it's obviously not as deep. Um, I think they're, Looking like they have a very uh, strong defensive line, but the I think the thing that I worry about the most with uh, Roma is the the firepower. I think they're very reliant on uh, Mkhitaryan up front, um, and probably need to see a little bit more out of some of their other attacking uh, threats to counteract a potential decline in form or anything or an injury. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm still not convinced, although they're flying high in third at the moment. Um, but yeah, 22 games to go, and you know they they've looked strong in uh, many many times in in the last five or six seasons, and eventually start to start to tail off in the second half. So um, it's it's kind of more of a I'll, I'll I'll believe it when I see it type of thing with with Roma. Well, hot on their tails, though. Uh, only three points behind and uh, with a game in hand, you'll not need any uh, reminding that it, that is Juve in fourth. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to coax you uh, into saying that this is perhaps the Lampard season, you know, Pirlo perhaps getting a free pass because he's a club legend. You know, if this was any other manager, the, the you know, fan base would be up in arms that Juve were, before today's win against Milan, fifth in the table. You know, what is the... What's the feeling towards Pirlo now? Well, to start with, I think the club hierarchy are 
quite pleased with how it's going, we have to think about the fact that Peeler was uh, probably the, one of the main things he had going for him was his wages, I think about 300,000 euros in comparison to, you know, someone like Pochettino that probably would have need to be paid in you know, 8, 10 million euros per season. So um, that's the first big positive that he's got going for him. But also makes him more expendable. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I think they're I think they're they're quietly quite pleased. There were definitely definitely teething issues. I think in the first, uh, you know, maybe two months of the season. But um, yeah, since then it's really started to come together. The the Fiorentina game where uh, Juve lost three 0 before the um, Christmas break was a bit of a hiccup. But I don't think it was um, you know symbolic of greater underlying issues it was more a fact of the a red card and and probably some dodgy refereeing decisions which people are going to laugh at someone a UV fan talking about dodgy refereeing decisions but, um <laughs> yeah so you know i think the I think there's a, a fair bit of uh hope and definitely still a lot of expectation that uh juventus is gonna come back and, and win the 10th title but it's also definitely been a lot of uh you know, regeneration of the squad that's had to happen this season. And we've seen Kulusevsky come in. We've seen McKinney come in. We've seen Chiesa come in. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're still building towards something. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge on that front. Um, but, yeah, yeah it's a just, massive six months to come. We discussed that, didn't we, sort of in the summer about rebuilding Juventus. Um on a previous episode of the podcast and there was a lot of intrigue around what Pirlo would bring in terms of a style um, and how he would sort of integrate him and how he would integrate um, these these players uh, because, you know, there, there was a, I mean, you, you look at the, the players that Juve have signed over the past 12, 18 months and there's been a marked difference in sort of the age range that the, the, the players that the club have brought in. You know, you look at the Kiesas, the Kulusevskis, the Western McKennies, you know, they're all 23 and under. So, you know, there's definitely been a, a change there. Um, how has that integration gone, do you think? Because, I mean, just on the basis of the, the most recent result against Milan, you know, McKenney scored, Kulusevsky got an assist, Chiesa got two. It's, I mean, it seems like it's going all right. Yeah, well, I think probably a year or two ago, there was a, um, you know, obvious signs that there needed to be uh, a regeneration of the squad and some young players needed to be brought in because, you know, it just, it, it, I think it, the, the team starts to become stale when your your midfield is Kadira and Matuidi and, you know, you've got old guys at the back and, you know, and, and you see the, the compare that to like Milan this morning with all the young players running around and pressing like mad. Um, you need a bit of the balance. And so, yeah, players like McKenney coming in, Chiesa coming in, who just, you know, and Kulusevsky, it's just energy, energy, energy. Um, and, you know, even someone like McKenney, I had uh, probably some concerns more around his ability to fit in from a technical ball progression standpoint. Um, but, yeah, Pilo, to his credit, has done a, a great job fitting him in to a role where he is a attacker that, out of possession, runs around like mad and just follows the ball and hunts the ball and and tries to win it back and then get wins it, gives it off and, and sprints forward again. Um, yeah, and Kiez and Kulusevsky again. I think I think Kulusevsky is the the one that's probably had the 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 
main teething issues joining Juve from Parma, where he was basically a one-man counter-attacking machine. Um, but he's settled in pretty well considering that. Um, and I think even Kiers has been surprising. I, I think he's got more trust in his teammates and doesn't feel like he needs to to take the game over himself, even though he's capable of doing that, as we saw uh, this morning. And I think it's led to him playing uh, more efficiently. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it's extremely promising because those three players are going to be super important in the, in the run-in. Yeah, Kulisevsky, uh, to in the most recent game, the, the 3-1 against Milan, w- wonderful assist um, for the the final goal for, for Weston McKenney to, to tap in. Um, you know, just taking that ball on, on the right-hand side, driving forward into the penalty area, and then sort of facing up to two or three challenges or two or three bodies in the way of him getting a clear sight of goal or a clear opportunity to get to the byline and I think it's just that I think you described it as ungainly you know he appears ungainly but he's just got that ability to take the ball with his left foot stroke it to one side you know carry it in one smooth motion uh, and 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 get past a, a you know an opposing player just th- through you know just the fact that he's got those additional yards in his stride because he is so tall for for a wide player um, so I'm, I'm pleased to see that you know while it there have been teething issues, as you'd imagine, you know, coming from Palmer, which was the most counter-attacking team in um, in Serie A last season under Roberto De Versa, um, to, to Juve, where, you know, naturally teams are going to set up with a low block most of the time. Um, so I'm glad to see that, you know, despite that, there is still some semblance of output there. Uh, but in terms of PLO, you know, the last time we discussed this on on the Scouted Football podcast, there was there was a bit, as I said there, there was a bit of intrigue. You know, we didn't really know because he had no coaching experience what his style was. You know, do we have any idea now what that style is? You know, how does a PLO team play, or how does how do you see him wanting this team to play? I think he straight away looks like uh, one of those managers that's really flexible to the players he's got at his disposal. It's like a complete reverse from what we saw last season with Sardi trying to, you know, in, in some places trying to fit uh, round pegs in, in square holes. So, um, yeah, it looks completely tactical, tactically flexible. There's a lot of switching between a three-back and a four-back during the game um, and, and and fitting players into roles that suit their skill sets, which, as I said, with, with McKenney, um, you know, is a perfect example of, putting players in the best uh, position to succeed with the, the qualities that they bring to the table. So, um, yeah, I think it's been hugely encouraging. And I think, yeah, the the, the club hierarchy um, have taken notice of that. And, um, yeah, hopefully they will be uh, even more willing to, to back him in the in the transfer window with whatever money they've got left to, to bring in maybe one more big fish in the midfield or, or someone else that uh, Pillow needs to to really, you know, stamp his authority on this team and, and take it to the next level. That is third and fourth place in Serie A, all boxed off. Uh, AS Roma and Juventus there. Uh, in the final part of this episode of Serie A Sessions, uh, we're going to be discussing our surprise package of the Serie A season so far. So, Steve, your surprise package from this first half of the Serie A season, who are you, who are you going with? Is it a team? Is it a player? Is it um, a, a coronavirus diagnosis? What is it? Not a coronavirus diagnosis, surprisingly, uh, although there have been numerous in Serie A 
I, I don't think there's any league that's can can match Setia for the number of players testing positive. But you'll never sing that. <laughs> Premier League's starting to to put in some some hard yards in in the last couple of weeks as well. So you know, I won't talk too soon. But um, I think I have talked about this on the on the Patreon pod. But um, Gianluca Scamacca is my my uh, my surprise package. Uh, we hadn't seen any any of him in Serie A until this season, although he's been on the radar for a long, long time. And although he, you know, the output hasn't been monstrous, the the signs are, you know, all there about what he can do, what he can bring to a team. And you know, he's playing in one of the worst teams in the competition in Genoa, who are I think second from the bottom at the moment, um, and look, you know, generally pretty terrible going forward. But he, um, yeah, he looks like the complete package. And, you know, there's been a long time he's been kind of referred to as the the next Ibra, um, you know, because of his size, because of his skill set. And, um, yeah, and again, I think I did say this on the Patreon pod, and I don't want to put the put the, the mocker on him. But, um, yeah, it just looks quality, even in the, the game that Genoa played against Juventus. And, obviously, he's going to, have a, a hard time trying to hold up the ball for others, um, you know, playing a lot of his game on the halfway line, but, you know, just looks really mature and just so strong, athletic. Um, and and then has also showed a, a creative part of his game that I wasn't um, quite aware of how developed it was this season. Um, so I think, yeah, you're going to hear a lot more about Skamaka going forward from us at Scouted, I, I can assure you that. Um, keep your eyes peeled in the next month, and yeah, he'll be one to watch in the in the next next twelve to eighteen months. I think hopefully, hopefully he finishes his uh, loan at Genoa and uh, ends up at a, or well, he could go back to his parent club Sassuolo, or, or go out and loan somewhere where he can be in a, a more functional attacking unit. Yeah, I think um, Skamaka is showing up on most radars at the moment purely because of his size. I mean, he's probably on most aircraft radars. He is enormous. Um, and, you know, I would not want to be a centre-half playing in Italy, you know, going up against him, even if I was playing for one of the better teams. You know, he is just... I mean, Steve, what are you doing to, to combat the size of Skamaka if you're a defender? Uh, not going body-to-body, body, I think. Unless you have to, I think that's the that's the go. Try and, But the thing is, is that once he can take control of the ball, he can beat you that way as well. So uh, it makes it difficult, but... Maybe just give him a, a little bit of space, hope that he doesn't whack into you too hard and, and then try and nip in and get the ball in. So there's a small there's a small window <laughs> of opportunity there then that you've got exactly. to, and, and exactly. a small chance. Oh so, yeah. I mean, have you not been on the lockdown gains? Like could you not go body to body with him now? Uh, my my lockdown gains have been width only. Oh uh, width. <laughs> right, okay. Like a lot of people then, like myself. Too, too much Guinness, then. mate. Too much Guinness. All right. Okay. Okay. I see how it is. Um, my my surprise package. I toyed between going with an individual player or a team, uh, and then I ended up toying between two teams. Uh, and I've gone with Hellas Verona over Sassuolo uh, because even though Sassuolo are in fifth as it stands, uh, Hellas Verona are in ninth, uh, and that is more of a surprise because you know they they're really tight at the back, and that's even though they lost Marash Kumbula, who who went to Roma, as we mentioned previously. You know, they've scored 20, um, they've conceded 15, which is the joint fewest in Syria. You know, they just keep it really tight at the back. Uh, Ivan Juric, or Ivan Juric, um, former Croatian international, um, he's clearly doing something right there. And, and you know, they've got some really good results this season. They've drawn with Juve and Milan and, and Roma before 
that was awarded as a as a 3-0 victory to Verona uh, and they beat Atalanta 2-0 which is you know a real surprise um you know more more so just keeping Atalanta quiet more than anything um so yeah I've been very impressed with with Hellas Verona uh, and if you get the chance do check out uh, Federico Di Marco's goal uh, in Hellas Verona's most recent game, which was uh, the 1-1 draw with uh, with Torino. Uh, that was an absolutely outstanding finish. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but it's yeah, it's it's out of the uh, it's out of the top draw straight away. Um, but yeah, Steve, do you have anything else to to add about Serie A sessions? Well, yeah, while, while you're talking about Hellas Verona, they didn't just lose Kumbul, they also lost Rahmani as well. So, you know, two key central defenders out and yet the the machine keeps rolling. So, it's yeah, as you said, it's extremely impressive. Just outing me there right at the end that I clearly hadn't done my homework properly. But um, <laughs> yeah, that just about concludes this week's Scouted Football podcast instalment. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Keep an eye and an ear out for more pods in the next few weeks. Um, as I say, there will be another Lee Scott scouting mission to come uh, as well as a special episode to mark our half century. Um, please leave us a review, a rating or, or even a nice word on Twitter or Instagram if you're feeling particularly generous. Um, let us know your likes and dislikes. Um, but yes, uh, you've been listening to the Scouted Football Podcast. Um, bye for now.